You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're saluting a distinguished actor in Fab Facts. We're embarking on a tiger hunt in the randomizer. And we're celebrating both Ray Harryhausen and Jerry Anderson with a new interview. Harry Anderhausen, it's all coming up in Pod 256. What is he talking about? Of oh, the brother, frankly, very last minute, Jerry Anderson podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Yes, hello, come on, get in, get it down. We can calm down now. Now we're doing it, Jamie. We can calm down. Can we really? I'm not sure we can. I think we're in in quite the hurry. (laughs) Should we let the posterons in on a secret? We were caught unawares a little bit, weren't we? Yeah, we thought we were one ahead, but we were one behind. So, yes, um, Ah! yes, we're recording this uh, in the the wee hours, almost the wee hours, uh, a little bit late. That's almost went a bit um, Terry Wogan then. Oh, in the wee hours, eh? Yeah, see? But... But uh, I'm still Jamie Anderson. Yeah, and I am still... Uh, yeah, I am. I'm still Richard James. And des- despite the last minuteness of this recording, mm. we will still be joined later on by the randomizer himself, Chris Dale, joining us with his randomizer, a machine, yes. which yep. is sort of important for a section called the randomizer. Yeah. And in the randomizer, the randomizer... Yeah. Operated by the Random Meister. Uh, right, okay, yes. Chooses a random Jerry Anderson show, and the Random Meister, that's Chris, talks about oh, it. Um, see. You see, it's good, isn't it? Mm, very good. So, Clever. So, there's loads of other stuff too, uh, and we're mm. in quite the hurry. So, how about. Well, no, 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 no. We're not in a hurry, are I we? Feel like we're we in are. a hurry to get started because it's all very last minute, and we suddenly realised we had a pod to do. But now we're here and recording, we could take as long as we want. All right, fine. Well,. Perhaps then, to put my mind at ease and my yes. body at rest, yeah. could you deliver this week's upcoming podcast contents... Oh, right, here we go. ...in the style of a very relaxing guided meditation tape? Just listen to the sound of my voice. You're feeling calm and relaxed as we head into the next Jerry Anderson podcast. And don't worry, all your favourites are there. Fab Facts. The Jerry Anderson News. The Randomizer. An interview. And wait, wait, what are you doing? Wake up. <laughs> Jamie, come on. <laughs> oh, sorry. Come on. I was so, oh, so relaxing. You said relaxing, not, not you know. Oh, that was really relaxing. Crikey. Actually, do you know what? Yeah? We could do some Jerry Anderson podcast ASMR, couldn't we? Oh, no, don't. I hate those things. They make my skin crawl. Well, but that's, isn't that the point? Isn't that why people Is like it? them? Because they like the sensation mm. it gives them of their sort of uh, cranial skin crawling. Do By they? the way, mm. <laughs> this is apropos of nothing, as mm. are most things I say, apparently. Yes. Uh, did you know that if you are a bald man, such as myself, and you yes. grow out the back of your hair in the yeah. style of what would be, I suppose, normally known as a mullet, oh, yeah. it is in fact called... A skullet. 
Uh, is that this week's fab facts? <laughs> that was this week's <laughs> fab facts. Yeah, I thought that oh. was rather lovely. Oh, okay. Got well, it. Uh, every day's a school day. Well, it certainly is. I'm very happy to uh, give you some education. There. Anyway, did we do all the things we're going to do in your relaxing well, what's it? <laughs> apart from, of course, the fact that our lovely podstrons have been getting in touch, as they do every week, emailing us at podcast at com, popping over to our Facebook group uh, and leaving messages there, and also hashtagging us on Twitter, uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast. And I shall be reading out their tweets and messages and emails as we go along. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to that. I'm sure lots of the podstrons are too. Oh, uh, of course they are. Now, if you're listening to this for the first time and thinking, what's a podstron? Well, you're a podstron oh, yes. because we are in your ears. Yep. Uh, if you're wearing over-ear headphones, then we'll be making your ears clammy, for which we can only <laughs> apologise. Sorry about that. Uh, but yes, you are now officially a podstron. And there's yep. an amazing community of them online, and we'll be hearing from them throughout this podcast. Yes, there was a conversation on the Facebook group recently. Someone was saying, well, I've been listening to the podcast long enough to remember when we were almost called Podleys. Mm. Yeah, well, that was a... Wasn't there another option as well beyond that? Mm, I think there might have been, yes. There probably were three, weren't there? Mm. Mm. Oh, well, maybe we'll remember it later on. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on from this... Well, I, I'm, I'm trying to stall, you see. I was hoping you'd forget about it and move straight on to the news. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, no. uh, do you remember when there was that other post on Facebook <sighs> where someone posted a picture of their cosplay and they were dressed as uh, uh, Captain Scarlet? Yeah, I remember uh, that. And then lots of, lots of people commented underneath. Trying to stall. If anybody's listening for the first time, they're going <laughs> to think this is the worst <laughs> podcast in the world. Um, uh, and that may be true, but it's also yes. a very long running one. So, uh, yeah. without further ado, yeah, it's time then. for this oh. week's Fab Facts. I mean, I did try. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Much like Chris Dale in this podcast, I also require a prop. Oh. And in Fab Facts, yeah. which is this section you're listening to right now, Podstrom. Oh, yes, that prop. Yes, my I see. prop yep. is a book of Fab Facts. Yep. You'll notice that uh, my co-host, Richard James, does not require any props, such as the quality of his performance and hosting. Uh, but here I am with my prop. That, that, mm. Don't laugh. That's very true. Um, it's a book of Fab Facts. I flick through it every single week, come rain or shine, unless we do something else. Uh, and Richard James shouts out Fab at a random point, at which point I stop flicking. And hopefully we happen upon a fantastic Fab Fact on that fish. Yeah, good luck with that. So, <laughs> are you ready with your Fab? Born ready. Okay, my flicking thumb is primed. Here we go. Fab! Oof. Oh, hang on, you can't let it run on like it that. It didn't run on. That's the delay on the recording. Is it? Uh, well, hmm. you have once again landed us in the mid-1970s, Richard James. Right. And today's fab fact concerns a Mr. Peter Cushing. Ah. Oh, uh, you may know this legendary actor for playing the Doctor in the two Doctor Who feature films of the 1960s, music by Barry Gray. Uh, numerous mm. characters in Hammer Horror productions like Dracula and The Curse yeah. of Frankenstein. And he was even in the original Star Wars as Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, yeah. well, I wasn't sure you were going to say it then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's probably best known, of course, of all of his roles um, for when he played Ram. In the Space 1999 Year One episode, Missing Link. Hey. Do you agree? No, maybe not best known. Best known, known. Best hmm. known to Anderfans and Podstrons ah, alike. Ah, okay. Now, after his turn in Missing Link, Cushing never had another role in an Anderson show. What did he do? Uh, 
but he was also close by. It turns out that as cameras began to roll on Space 1999's Year 2 premiere episode, The Metamorph, they were also beginning to roll on another stage at Pinewood. On the 26th of January, 1976, that's Mummy A's birthday, FYI, um, At the Earth's Core, uh, a feature film based on the novel by Edgar Rice Burroughs, was also filming and happened to star one Mr. Peter Cushing. Oh... There were lots of familiar faces involved with At the Earth's Core. Cy Grant, who voiced Lieutenant Green and Captain Scarlet, was in the cast, and frequent Anderson collaborator Alan Hume was behind the camera. Oh, yes. The director of that film, Kevin Connor, joined Space 1999 after the feature was wrapped and directed two episodes in uh, Space 1999's Year 2 as well, Brian the Brain and Seed of Destruction. And after he wrapped, Peter Cushing would head on to work on Star Wars along with Darth Vader performer Dave Prowse who had just completed the beta cloud for Space 1999 Mm. so it just goes to show how close-knit the film industry in Britain was in those days yes uh, and how much kind of behind the scenes and on camera talent crossover there was it's a bit like uh, in in 76 whenever it was they made the day after tomorrow into infinity Mm. Martin Lev who played the young lad uh, in Into Infinity, uh, was shooting at the same time another film on a stage just around the corner. He was shooting Crikey. Bugsy Malone. Wow. So Bugsy Malone and Into Infinity all nice. in at the same time. So I've got some great. great photos of him in his Bugsy Malone outfit on the mm. set of Into Infinity. <laughs> nice. Which looks absolutely bizarre. So there yes. you go. Uh, Posterons, do you know of any other Anderson connections to At the, Earth, at the Earth's Core or... Any other strange, serendipitous crossover moments uh, for Anderson shows or um, voice artists who were appearing at things at the same time? And uh, yeah, any connections like that, we'd love to hear them. Podcast at jerryanderson.com. Oh, but I've got a story about that. Uh, Please you know, share. Uh, well, Space Precinct has just been uh, released on uh, BritBox uh, in stunning new a- uh, HD mm, upscale. Has. Well, at the same time as that was happening, I happen to know that one of the actors from Space Precinct was sitting on his sofa in his pants eating a packet of crisps. Is that the sort of thing, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's a detail that really gives it some colour. Do you know what yeah, flavour uh, crisps they were? Uh, no, and I'm not saying which actor it was. Either. No, I, I mean, I can guess. It's a lovely image of Lou Hirsch in his pants I've got here. Uh, yes. Well, there you go. I mean, right. a, a private connection there that perhaps yeah. shouldn't have been shared. No, fair enough. <laughs> but Potsterons, if you've got any others, please do email us. Uh, I guess you'll be pleased to know, Richard, that that brings us to the very end of this week's Core Not fact. sure fact. I Not don't know. Sure. I can think of anything. I just went for core fact because you know core, but core. also earth's core. Core. Oh, I see. You see, this is see. Thought this is worked. why you don't need a prop because you are, you think on your feet. You're I quick. Am you're sharp. My own prop. You're great right. wits. You are you are absolutely a prop. No, oh, great. Oh, that's very nice. Thanks, I think. Uh, anyway, now, I'm sure you would like to hear from our Podstrons because they've been sending emails in. I might as well read them out. That's what I thought. Might as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Hyder from China. He's got an idea uh, yes. for a guest. He says that Richard Herring's latest podcast mm-hmm. starts with him riffing about Fireball XL5 and his love for Zuni the Lazoon. Maybe yes. he'd be a good interviewee for the podcast. Uh, well... Paul Hyder from China, you'll be pleased to know that having seen your email, I followed up uh, with Uh Richard's booker. Yes. um, And my email has been forwarded. 
Great. There, okay. is, there is hope yet. I've oh. not heard a response. But sure. That's okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, yep. So let's see. But I'm let's see. I'm optimistic. So thanks for the suggestion. Uh, on a similar theme, Miles Parrish has got in touch to say hi all. Uh, the recent revelation that Apple Podcasts suggests listeners of the Jerry Anderson Pod may also like the Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster yes. podcast. Right. Well, that's had me thinking, says Miles, whether they might be good guests for the pod. This daydream has been reinforced by a couple of things. In episode 129 of Off Menu, James sang a song about something to the tune of Aquamarina. (laughs) In episode 187 with John Kearns, the three of them were discussing Christmas bestseller toys and Ed was very quick to decisively mention the Matchbox Tracy Island twice or three times in quick succession. And in episode 188 with Lily Allen, Ed's stated simply I like Thunderbirds I don't know if this is worth anything both are compelling interviewees in other things I've heard them appear on and I should imagine would bring in a wider audience I mean we desperately need one of those don't we Uh, cheers from Miles well thank you Miles yeah. Uh, Miles, you'll be pleased to know. No, I, I haven't actually managed to reach out to uh, Ed and oh. James yet, but I okay. will try because all these little links are great. Yes, of course they are. Yeah, you never know, do you? We'll see what um, Simpsons Clips 24 says, Hello, Richard and Jamie. Simpsons Clips here. You might like to know that my tipple of choice in the morning is a cup of tea. Uh, oh, yes, and I Excellent. think this follows on from a, perhaps a recent discussion wherein I admitted the fact that I like to tip a little bit of the previous night's espresso martini into my morning coffee. <laughs> I'd forgotten that you <laughs> yeah, yeah. made it's that quite a while public. Ago, to be fair, to be fair. Um, he says, I don't touch the demon drink, not since what happened with George Best and Oliver Reed, which I think is fair enough. Anyway, now that that's out the way, I wondered if you might be able to answer something for me. I've noticed that in the Lavender Castle episode, Bird of Prey, uh, Dr. Aegon's falcon, Trump, is referred to as a she. However, in other episodes of the show, Trump is referred to as a he, which leads me to ask, do you think that makes Trump the first gender-fluid character in the Andiverse? Because if so, good on them. S.I.G. Simpsons Clips 24. Uh, well, it doesn't. It, oh. Even if that was uh, was not a continuity error, which I suspect yeah. it is, Yeah. of course, its star in Terrorhawks uh, had both uh, the personalities of a very sweet little girl and a mad German scientist. Uh, so, no, I'm afraid it star beats Trump to it, if indeed that is the case for Trump, but we don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, interesting. Uh, hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris, says Chris Turner. Uh, it was great news to hear that Space Precinct is now available in HD. I've yes. written to the podcast before to say how excited I was when the show first aired on BBC Two in 1995. The first brand new Jerry Anderson show I'd seen since UFO. I missed out on the original showing of Space 1999 as I'd gone away to college and back in the mid-70s. Access to a TV was much more difficult than it is nowadays. So true, I remember that. Mm. Uh, I watched the first few episodes of Space Precinct on its original transmission. I then lost touch with the show until I bought the network DVD a few years ago. It was great to get reacquainted with the show, but there's no doubt that the picture quality was disappointing, especially on a big screen. So, congratulations to all involved in the new AI upscaled version. It looks great with nice sharp edges, or rather images, and bold colours. I've watched the uh, free episode on YouTube, Body and Soul, which according to Richard's... <coughs> Excellent book, Space Precinct Unmasked. Oh, yeah. Did he say that was, or did uh, you put that no, word No, no, it actually says that. Okay. Uh, it was number three in the original broadcast order. The show definitely improved later in the run, and I think the storyline in this particular episode is okay-ish, but not one of the best. For instance, there was no explanation about why the computer-generated hologram suddenly started producing bolts of electricity from its fingertips 
very strange. Uh, I thought the visual effects also hold up pretty well, although the HD pictures do reveal a bit of clunkiness. Uh, it probably didn't help that I'd watched the show back-to-back with an episode of The Mandalorian. It just shows how far <laughs> sci-fi TV production has come in 30 years. Yes, exactly, Chris. I mean, you know, give us a break. I expect Jerry would have loved to have uh, access to the virtual production studio now used for the Star Wars TV shows. Finally, I'd like to add my name to the list of people who have requested a Blu-ray of the show and not forgetting the recent discussion of the possibility of a space precinct vault. All the best. Keep up the great work, Chris Turner. Well, thanks, Chris Turner. Glad you're enjoying it. And yes, I mean, butting up against The Mandalorian. Yeah. Maybe not super fair. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I think a lot of the effects in there certainly hold up to Thunderbird standards. Sure. Um, there are some that fall below as well, I suspect, mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. of the challenges of what they were trying to do. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it's lovely to watch. Yeah. Dear Jamie and Richard, I can sympathise with the person mentioned on Pod 253 who wasn't a fan of Stingray because her name Marina. My parents didn't know what they were letting me in for when they called me Penelope. Seven years later, Thunderbirds appeared on our screens and I started to get a lot of teasing. Being oh, called no. your ladyship or being asked what you've done with Parker and the Rolls Royce can get very annoying. It's a wonder I like the show at all, let alone that it's still my favourite TV programme of all time. But it's the reason that I now sign myself Pen Quiller. Ah, there we go, yeah, Pen. Makes lovely. sense. Yeah. Nice bit of backstory there. And finally, Benjamin says, Hello, Rich and Jamie. I finally watched last year's documentary, Jerry Anderson, A Life Uncharted, after finding the DVD randomly at my local HMV store. Uh, I got home and put it on, pressed play, and about an hour and 40 minutes later, I was incredibly touched and emotional with this masterpiece of a documentary. It was Aww. so well done. I learned things I never knew before about Jerry's life, his family, his work, his relationships with his colleagues, and the ups and downs of his career. It was incredibly honest, and it didn't hold anything back, which I love. As someone who's lost both his grandmother and his great auntie to Alzheimer's disease, I completely understand the struggles and how it affects everyone in heartbreaking ways. I must admit, I cried. I thoroughly enjoyed the documentary. Thank you so much, Jamie, and everyone at Anderson Entertainment for putting this masterpiece together. Thank you for keeping this wonderful man's legacy alive and take care of yourselves. Kind regards from Benjamin. Well, what a nice email. Thank you very much. Glad you got to see that. Thanks for the feedback. I suspect because you know it's available on uh, DVD and Blu-ray and it's it's streaming as well that I think you'll be getting emails like that you know for years to come people who've just stumbled across it for the first time mm. and uh, want to get in touch to say how much it meant to them. Yeah, which is rather lovely, isn't it? No, yeah, another of it is. another different little branch of the of the legacy yeah. continuing on. Yeah, exactly. So there we are, all for now. But do keep your emails coming in to podcast at jerryanderson.com. You never know if I'm in the right mood, I might read them out next time. You're always in the right mood. Well, so far I have been, but, you know, things might change. <laughs> OK, well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. We'll keep you fed and watered. <laughs> Five and, years uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. OK, anyway, should we move on? Oh, yes, I think we ought to. Well, every week we have something called Jerry Anson News. So would oh, you yeah. like some Jerry Anson huh? News? What? You've got some now? Yes. Oh, go on then. OK, here it is. Indeed, indeed. It's the Jerry Anderson news, Newsy, news, 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 news. Yes, beautifully done. Thank you Thank very you. much. 
mm-hmm. in fine voice as always. Now, uh, forgive me, Podsterons, if we just briefly touch on some rather sad news, which you may have seen on social media, uh, and that is on the the very sad passing of my half brother, uh, Jerry Anderson Jr. So, oh, yes. uh, Dad's middle child from his marriage with Sylvia, and uh, Jerry had been living for about two years, just over two years, um, with a, a very nasty brain tumour. Um, he outlived his prognosis by some way uh, and uh, was surrounded by, by family uh, when he finally did pass um, about 10 days ago, or two weeks ago probably by the time you hear this. So very, very, very sad. But yes, uh, lots, of, lots of people uh, sending their very kind wishes on social media, so we really, really appreciated that. Um, and although he, as you, it was, you will know if you watch the documentary, you know that he and Dad uh, it became re-estranged um, mm-hmm. uh, after uh, some attempts to sort of get back together. The funeral, Dad's funeral at least, did bring us back together uh, yes. to some degree. So there was some reuniting of the, of the family yeah. um, to the point where uh, Jerry Jr. and I would write to each other uh, and I would call him a little big brother and he would call oh. me Big Little Brother because despite the fact that I was younger, I was taller. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, you know, there's some nice nice stuff that came from, from the sort of the tragedy of the whole thing. Uh, can but, I ask, did, did he, do you know, get to get to see the documentary? I'm, I'm assuming. I don't think he was well enough ah. to, be, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, speaking to his, uh, his immediate family out where he lived yeah. in Tasmania, he was not well for a long time before he okay. passed. I think the, the, the disease sort of stripped away his... Um, communication abilities really so very very sad um yep. i'm sure he would have uh, you know been happy and sad in equal measure to to see some bits of the story and some image and stuff but mm. Uh, mm. yeah not that i'm aware of anyway thank you all for your very kind messages lovely stuff and uh, i've got some great pictures of him particularly as a, as a kid it's actually quite um quite shocking how many similar sort of kiddie playtime activities he and I did despite the fact that we were <laughs> born 20 years apart yeah right uh, so yeah very strange anyway there we go that's the sad bit uh, yeah. so there we go we shall move on but thank you again for all of your uh, your kind notes now yeah. uh, looking ahead to this week yeah. it's the 10th of the month coming up oh, very yeah. very soon yeah and the 10th of every month we are celebrating terror hawks because uh, on the 10th of october this year actually on the 9th technically terror hawks turns 40 uh, and Ooh. this week chris dale has got the nerdiest treat for you i can possibly imagine <laughs> with a, uh, a rather special article so stand by for the 10th for that huh. it is the end of the road for some more t-shirt designs as you all know we're moving warehouse very very shortly uh so there's another bunch of those that are disappearing uh in five days time so uh, go and grab them if you like but in the meantime there's a limited edition captain scarlet spectrum paint splash design which is available for the rest of the month oh. uh, but it is time limited and will be shut off and will disappear forever on the 31st of may so there you go uh, if you're in the USA and you're listening from the United States, then it is the last week for the Jerry Anderson store as you know it at jerryanderson.store. Again, as part of our warehouse move, we're moving our Columbus location to elsewhere. So everything in the US store uh, is discounted at 40% to help us clear. It's only available if you're in the US. If you're elsewhere, don't even bother checking it out because if you try and check out, you won't be able to ship anywhere other than the US. If you are there, well worth, well worth getting a bargain for yourselves. Um, on Tuesday this week, Richard, I'm oh, yeah. beginning a rather special search. 
Are you? Well, I'm just over here. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, Hello? That was sold. Yeah. That was easy. It's quick, uh, isn't it? No, it's, it's, it is a special search. I, I, need to, um, I need to make amends. Right. I need what have you to, done? I need to... Um, you know, I need, to apo- I need to apologise for something. Okay. Uh, but all will be revealed on uh, on Tuesday. And oh. uh, hopefully, Postrons, you may be able to help us with this rather, mm, should I say, most special search. Anyway, moving on. Uh, on our YouTube channel, you may have seen, we've had some lovely features with Derek Wadsworth talking about the music of Space 1999 and the feature version, uh, pulling together lots of material from, from Derek talking about the music from year one to year two is now available on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jerry Anderson TV. Uh-huh. Uh, more uh, great stuff coming every week. In fact, I believe that this week, and this may be an exclusive for you, uh, we have a video about the Thunderbird stage show oh, yes. uh, featuring ex- an exclusive interview recorded many years ago with Andy Dawson, one of the original uh-huh. duo behind it. So Lovely. look out for that. Uh, make sure you've subscribed there and everywhere else we are on the internet. Uh, but that is the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. That was the news. Gorgeous. Yeah, great. Yeah, well, it's quite a, a bumper edition, that one, I felt. Uh, quite a bumper and quite varied, I would say. True enough, yes. Now, talking of bumper and varied, let's head over to our Facebook group. Uh, that's at <laughs> facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podsterons, okay. uh, where people have been uh, oh, posting pictures of their merch and their latest model kits and their cosplay and all sorts of things. Quite right, too. Uh, Louise uh, asked, uh, which is your favourite all-time UFO episode? To which uh, James Logue responded, the square triangle. Whilst uh, Neil Holloway says, conflict, destruction, time lash and the long sleep. So he's hedging all his bets there. Roger Smith says, I've just finished the audio Fireball XL5, Cloud of a Billion Lights. Oh, no. <laughs> Great fun, he says. And at the end of the interviews, they say they would like to perform it live. Now, I'm up for that, Jamie, says Roger Smith. And he, uh, well, he finishes by saying, on our way home. <laughs> there you go. Just for you. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> Neil Green says, I really enjoyed Jamie Anderson's appearance on the Spy Hards podcast ah, yes. about the Jerry Anderson script for Moonraker. Hmm, says Neil. What if? Yeah, I found that fascinating as well, actually. The level of detail was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it was a really fascinating thing to revisit, actually. I really enjoyed that. So if you yeah. if you haven't heard it, Podstrons, do go and search for... Uh, Spy Hearts podcast and uh, yeah. go a couple of weeks back and you'll well, you'll find uh, an interview with me talking about Moonraker. Yeah, uh, I didn't Jerry know Anderson's Moonraker. That's right. I didn't know it was such a sort of a comprehensive treatment, really. I just thought it was a few lines and a, a couple oh, no, of ideas. I mean, it, you, yeah. you could easily turn that into a full script, Absolutely. no problem. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, now, there's a thought. Uh, Shane Poole says, now we are over halfway through the life of the randomizer and no series is complete as of yet. Any bets on which will be completed first? Well, Chris Dale says, I've got 560 randomizers scheduled, so we'll be halfway through around pod 280-ish. Looking at my list, Dick Spanner will certainly be finished way before anything else, Mm. and the other shows pretty much all gather together neatly at the very end of the run for a four-month-long final episode. Oh, Oh, lovely. There you go. So that's something to look forward to in another five years. (laughs) That was so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting, isn't it? So I think we've discussed this before. Chris does have it all laid out, of course. Yeah. Only he knows what's coming next, but the initial selection was completely random. Have I just put my foot in it and ruined the whole... No, I don't think so. Nah, you ruin everything all the time. 
<laughs> Hugh Porter, just watched the final episode of The Protectors, and I liked most of the series. Uh, some highs and lows towards uh, the show. I love it, how it was produced, uh, the same year as ITC Productions, The Persuaders, and I love the certain twists throughout the show. 52 episodes was certainly a triumph for Jerry and progressing his career onwards. I love the music, action and drama, but I can confirm that It Could Be Practically Anywhere on the Island is the worst Jerry Anderson episode ever that I have watched. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes. You, know. you wait until eventually we reveal GFI and you may change your mind. <laughs> well, you know, something's got to hold that accolade, hasn't it? Something. Of course, something's going to be the worst. Produced. Exactly. Absolutely. If yeah. you're going to rank things, something's got to be worst. Exactly. Uh, Earl Black, just listening to the second UFO audio from Big Finish. Incredible work by Jamie and Nick for the writing. I have to say the writing is nothing short of incredible. Oh. Every episode on the first volume was perfect and volume two is just absolutely incredible. Everything a UFO fan could want. Expanded plot lines, enhanced characterizations, new surprises, old favourites. It has everything. And then in big block capitals, everything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it does. The second, the second story in the second box is just a uh, shocked face emoji. Uh, thanks to Jamie, who put in the twists and turns. Incredible work. Incredible. Jerry would have been so, so very proud. UFO fans, you really, really do want this. Incredible work. And that's from Earl Black. That's wow, nice, isn't that's, it? That's, 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 wow. I mean, that's full of praise. I've, I really <laughs> appreciate that. Oh, that's very I kind. I know. But I have to say, the audios generally do seem to be going down very well. People like revisiting uh, mm. their favourite shows of Space 1999 and UFO. These new twists that you've been giving them with Big Finish actually haven't been sort of knocking them completely out of their original universe, but just looking at them slightly askance and giving them a bit of a refresh. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is, is rather nice, isn't it? It's part of the fun, absolutely. And you get to revisit things and pull out the best and you yeah. know raise those raise those best bits above everything else and then yeah. insert some new new surprises and new, new little um, side eyes in there yeah, indeed now was this uh, always your plan i remember you talking about an initial meeting with nick briggs where you sort of brought up terror hawks uh, as a mm. possibility uh, which you then of course produced but were you also thinking ahead to the likes of space 1999 and ufo even then nah Nah, because mm. he mm. told me, see, we were at Brit Sci-Fi, ah, and, yeah. he, and he said um, that he'd met with Dad and, and said that they wanted to do Thunderbirds audios, and Dad had yeah. kind of given them his, his blessing, and then ITV ah. had said, no, you can't do those. Right. And so Terrorhawks was a kind of a way in to Anderson Audio, uh-huh. and yeah, and, and it's, yeah. it's spiralled outwards from there. I mean, we must have, I don't know how many hours of audio we've done now, but many Gosh. tens. Yes, tens um, of hours. That's really lovely. Yeah, uh, so there we are, all for now, but uh, you know it's the friendliest place on the internet. Head on over to Facebook and uh, join in the Podstrons uh, official podcast listeners group. Answer a couple of questions, they'll let you in, and you can enjoy the fun, kick back, relax, and talk about Jerry Anderson to your heart's content. Yeah. And anything else, really, to be fair. Yeah, anything goes, uh, yeah. as long Quite as right. it's, you know, nice, yeah. which most things are. So there you go. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, now, Richard James, I've got an interview for you. Oh, have you? Great, yes. And I think it might be the first ever time that we've had three people on Ooh. as interviewees. Is that right? Do you think? I can't remember. I remember we've had duos before. We've had absolutely. a couple of duos, yeah. Samira yeah. and Kevin, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've had um, uh, Robin Ince Brian and Cox Brian and Robin Cox, Ince, yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had you and me. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. you mean Chris, really. But in terms of interviewees, this uh, is our We've never really first... been interviewed, have we? No, no, exactly. So Who's going is... to do that? Uh, maybe one of today's guests were in the future. Who knows? <laughs> no, uh, I'm sure the name Ray Harryhausen will mean a lot to a yes. lot of you. Um, you know, rainy Sunday afternoons, uh, watching a fantastic uh, Greek fantasy epic. 
mm-hmm. with stop motion skeletons fighting each other, Indian gods dancing, bronze statues coming to life. Well, they were all uh, by the design, technical skill and hand of Ray Harryhausen. Dad and Ray knew each other. They met a few times and greatly respected one another. So it was a really lovely uh, to have on Vanessa Harryhausen, Ray's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and author of Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema. Uh, now, uh, Vanessa, like me, is doing her best to carry the flame. And in this interview, we are also joined by Connor Heaney, the collections manager for the Ray Harryhausen Foundation, and filmmaker and author John Walsh, who is a trustee of the foundation. So wow. there's three of them there. Uh, I tried to give everyone a bit of time. Uh, I feel a bit bad because I feel like I left Connor out at the start, but he does join in later. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, here is Team Harryhausen, part one. Hi, my name is Vanessa, Vanessa Harryhausen, and I'm the daughter of Ray Harryhausen. And I am a trustee for the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation. And I also do a little bit of archiving in, um, in the collection as well. Uh, my name is Connor Heaney, and I am the collections manager for the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation. Hello, I'm John Walsh. I'm a filmmaker and author. I first met Ray Harryhausen when I was 18. And today I'm a trustee of the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation. Well, I think this might be a first for us because I think it's the first time we've had three interviewees on the same podcast. So history in the making already. And it's very rare that I get to speak to somebody, uh, Vanessa, who's in a a sort of similar position to me. Lots of people will know your your dad's name uh, and work. And actually, I was I was watching a, a piece earlier on today where somebody was saying quite often. If they say a creator or a, a film person's name, the public don't necessarily know their name straight away. But often if you give them an example of their work, they instantly know. So for those who are not familiar, I can't believe there'll be that many list- listeners to this who don't know who Ray Harryhausen was. Can you give us just a few kind of examples of his work, things that viewers or your listeners might know? I know they'll be they'll know his stuff from rainy Sunday afternoons through their childhood and kind of iconic memories from those things. But give us some of those projects. Um, well, I'll rattle off some of the films. The very well-known ones is is one of them is Jason and the Argonauts, famous for the skeleton sequence in the Hydra. And, um, gosh, what else was that? Uh, Golden Voyager Sinbad and Eye of the Tiger. And in all these, he did the stop-motion animation and he made all the creatures in that as well, which was quite amazing, not to mention doing some of the sketch work for the producers and directors and the actors to be able to get an idea of what was going to happen in the film. So that, I mean, this is kind of where Ray's and Dad's approach differ, but they, they there are some similarities too, because he, you know, your dad was very much hands-on he was doing the stuff right he was making the models he was animating them he was he was designing those effects sequences but in a very similar way to dad where dad would have other teams working doing those things where he might be kind of driving the vision they both branded their technique with a certain name yes uh so i'll let you tell us what that technique is called and then if John wants to give some technical details or Connor, uh, just so that again, listeners can kind of get 
how much of a, a technical advancement Ray's approach was. Well, he he key named it Dynamation. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to let John actually go into that in a little bit of depth. So I'm going to pass that over to you, John. <laughs> okay, right. Well, this is slightly kind of controversial area because, of course, Ray didn't invent animation and he didn't invent stop motion animation. So people think, ah, oh, well, Dynamation is the combination of live action and stop motion. It is. But Ray didn't invent that either because, of course, it'd been happening with people like uh, Willis O'Brien on on films like King Kong and Son of Kong and then The Mighty Joe Young, which was the first professional film that Ray Harryhausen worked on. But I think what was happening was it was really for audiences, for them to understand this is different. This is not a man in a suit. And uh, you can imagine if it was man in a suit, Orama, you know, you'd know, oh, that's going to be a film with a man in a suit. So how how could you best describe it? Tabletop stop motion arama, you know, might be a, an accurate description, but it doesn't capture on a poster. So with Charles Schneer, his producing partner, they were coming up with different ways of enticing audiences. And we've got to remember, this is when colour televisions were starting to eat into cinema audiences. How can we tell people it's something different? People know what 3D is, know what cinema scope is. But this rather unique way of presenting creatures needed its own tag. And Dynamation was what um, they came up with. The first time they used it on posters was 1957's first colour Harryhausen film, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And then it got upgraded to Super Dynamation. Um, And it wasn't because it was a superhero film. It was because it was The Three Worlds of Gulliver, where there was quite a lot of what we would today call green or blue screen, but it was the yellow sodium backing process. So they wanted people to know, look, come and look at us. We've done something special. It's not like these... These jokers down the road, it's, it's new, it's super dynamation. And it, it kind of worked. The technique um, remained, of course, but the name sort of died off as marketing departments and different studios decided we didn't need those hooks anymore. It was enough of a hook that it was a Ray Harryhausen film. But I mean, much like your father's um, super marionation, he didn't create marionettes, of course, but his unique way of of creating that for television meant that, ah, super marionation meant very high quality wonderful tabletop puppetry and you know when we think of experts in puppetry there's just really jerry anderson maybe jim henson in in that form if we think dark crystal labyrinth and the muppet show but it's a great way to absolutely tell people this is what it is this is what you're going to see so a nice happy parallel there i think Mm. jamie yeah, and no, I love the fact that it got upgraded to super dynamation. That feels like a, a very Anderson move. But of course, if he's doing dynamation in the 50s, then me- maybe we can credit um, Ray's approach with inspiring dad to name it Supermarination. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if that's a direct uh, attribution, but I, I think we can probably say that it must have had an influence. Well, I think uh, someone like Lou Grade, who was a great supporter of your father's work, he seems the sort of character that would have said with his cigar, and you know, we need to come up with a name for this. And I think super dynamation or something super animation come up with a name. So yeah. I think it was, it feels like a salesperson's idea. And then your yeah. father kind of ran with it and, and created his own branding. Yeah. But that's, that's a really lovely parallel. Go on, Vanessa. Um, can I just say that dad started very early in his. 17, 18, um, when he was 17, 18, doing little puppets. Mm. And one of them, well, one of them was a gorilla, believe it or not. And um, the other was, oh, gosh, all sorts of different other little characters, a witch and all sorts. But he started all puppets on a string, you know. So from there, he progressed. Yeah. 
you know, um, and it's 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 lovely to see that our dads actually did meet. I think it was, was it in nineteen eighty five or something on a program. No, I think could it have been ninety five? No. Yeah, I think so. Was it ninety five? Yeah, yeah. Can't so, well, remember. Yeah, c- certainly some time ago. And they, I mean, they were doing a lot of lovely backslapping, which was rather nice. I uh, know, and it was just another. it was lovely that that you know they had met previously before. I think a couple of times they said in the interview, so it was. It was great, and it's great that we're just catching up on going over things. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how the world brings it together. But it, it, John, as you say, with Ray bringing starting in well, uh, John of us with Ray starting in in strung puppets and moving to stop motion. I mean, Dad uh, had no intent whatsoever to work with puppets and wanted to do live action, and ended up with puppetry. So they came came from very different places and end ended up well, in their own words, mm-hmm. uh, your your dad doing massive advances for stop motion and keeping it alive dad with strung puppets and jim henson wow. with hand yeah. puppets they all kind of were, were the puppetry pioneers now i've i've talked at length before uh and our listeners will be bored of it by now so i'm not going to retell it to you but the experience of growing up with a name in the tv and film world is i guess to you and i vanessa c- completely normal Yes, uh, but to others would, would be exactly <laughs> to others would be rather abnormal. Um, so, just I wondered if you could just tell me about the the developing awareness of what your dad did and his his impact. How early did you first become aware of it? What did it mean? And what was the the experience like growing up with with the great Ray Harryhausen as a uh, as an influence um, in your life? Well, I went to boarding school very early on and, and obviously during the holidays, you know, like kids do, you you have friends back. And so we used to go up and see dad upstairs in the the uh, top floor where he had his little studio and office and everything. And in the office, he had these wonderful cabinets. It's a pity we can't see, but I've got a cabinet behind me that's got some, um, what, uh, used to have some of dad's stuff in it, mm. still does. Anyway, when the, my friends used to go in the room, they were like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, they couldn't believe it. And Dad would open the cabinet and sometimes let them handle it and and stuff. And uh, some of the kids would have seen um, some of the, the films, like probably Golden Voyage and other things. Um, but they were amazed at these creatures that they had seen on screen. They could actually – Dad was – Handing them to, to sort of play with or, or feel, you know, it was it was really great. But I was very used to. I don't I don't know if people used to turn up at your door just regularly, but it seemed to be. Dad had his name in the address book in the uh, yellow pages. I don't know uh. why. And people used to just randomly turn up, bang on the door, and say, "Oh, hello, it's Mister H." And we we're just passing, we we're just wondering. <laughs> but yes, hold on one second. And so all my life, we've had that, you know. And then we had famous people coming in, and it was just—I don't know—it was a matter of course. You just—it sounds very flippant, but you just—you just accepted it, and you let them in. And and Mum would put them in the study down in London, and. Um, give them a cup of tea and later on it was from the clash of the titans mugs and <laughs> in waiting for dad to come down and you know so that's that's sort of you know how um i remember it yeah and how how was he uh in terms of what now would be called a work-life balance i mean dad dad my dad was a, a, an absolute workaholic and he because he loved it but because he kind of didn't have any other hobbies 
Uh, how was that side of things for you? Yeah, well, I mean, as I said, I was at boarding school. And when, when I came home, if he was on a location, then we'd fly out to the location and see him and spend time out there. Um, when he did get time off, you know, um, he wasn't very good at relaxing. He liked to sketch and always keep busy because he was frightened he was wasting time. Mm. Um, so he was always tinkering and doing something at home. But, you know, when we went on holiday trips, you know, um, we played hard. We had a lovely time, lovely, lovely fun times, you know. Um, and uh yeah, it was it was it was good. But yeah, he he was a workaholic and mm. he was a he was very precise on what he was trying to do and there was one time over breakfast I asked him and I said oh dad you know how how you must be very pleased with all the things that have happened in your life and he went mm, not really sure and I said how can you say that he says well it could always be better and I'm going seriously and I said is it is a regret that you have and he said yeah everybody has regrets and I'm like how can you have regrets Everything that you do is just like, oh, my God. I mean, I can't even put it into words. And he says, well, you know, I do look at things and think, oh, I could have done that better or a bit different. But, you know, these these men are such perfectionists. Mm. God bless them that they always think they could do a bit better. When I honestly can't see how. But, yes. But they, you know. they only see the the, the negative. Yeah. That yeah. I mean, so this is a very, very similar experience in terms of the the attitude, the work, the workaholism, the constantly need, needing to create, the constant past satisfaction, uh, dissatisfaction, I should say, yeah. and the striving to make things better. What do you think drove him to do the things that he 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 did? I mean, because one can easily go, well, he was just he just had to create, but it was there. Was there something else you think, or were there other elements that drove him to do what he did so so specially? Well, all my life, I know that, I mean, and he said every time, I'm sure you've got it on interviews and heard him say it, King Kong, the original King Kong, just sent him off the scale. He wanted to know how was that creature made, how, you know, the animation, it looked so real, it breathed all the, the dinosaurs and everything. So that was that was his sort of what I call the flower that, you know, the bud that made him want to, to find out more. Mm. And uh, I, 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 I don't know. I just, I think he. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. So you're gonna... The enthusiasm for King. Yeah, King. just for King. the enthusiasm, and he wanted the fantasy side of of people to understand and feel. I think he thought that things were getting very serious, and he wanted the child and everybody to come out mm. and believe you could actually be in that situation or yeah. live that scene. You know, um, however, you know, whatever it was. Um, and he just wanted to to have families enjoy it and 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 believe in that magic that he was feeling that was slipping away a bit. Mm. Well, if, if I can just say, so, sorry, uh, yeah. uh, Vanessa and Jamie, if Ray was a child of the Great Depression as well. Yes. And I think that's a, a major factor. So growing up yes. in America in the 30s, you know, being surrounded by, you know, really a breakdown of, of society and capitalism as we recognize it. And even now it's still referred to as the Great Depression. Mm. So it's the big one. Um, so he knew the value of everything. So in the Foundation's archive, we'll have maybe lesser heads with rather elaborate sketches painted on the, or sketched on the blank side. So, you know, people from that era can feel very busy and unsettled. 
So if you're sat down, you know, don't be lazy, be doing something, be creating something. And, uh, you know, the, 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 not to get it on to me, but the book that I wrote, Harry House and the Lost Movies, um, two years ago, was about Ray's unfulfilled projects. Mm. And for the 16 feature films he made, there was nearly 80, 80, 80 projects he worked on that didn't see the light of day. Yeah. And another kind of comparison with 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 Jerry Anderson was that in Ray's kind of um, lifetime, in his career lifetime, he wasn't as celebrated as he is today. Mm. So when we think about Ray Harryhausen's films, people imagine they were heralded like Walt Disney Presents, Ray Harryhausen Presents. And of course, on box sets, they are. So if you mm-hmm. get a, a DVD set or a Blu-ray set, it's very much Ray Harryhausen front and center. But at the time, that wasn't the case. There was constant sort of discussions with studios. Is it still relevant? Does the studio head want to wait for up to three years to see the film coming from Ray Harryhausen? So there was always, always these pressures. Technology played a part. The 70s was very difficult with motion control coming in in, in the mm-hmm. mid-70s with Star Wars. The irony of Ray's most successful financial film was Clash of the Titans, was also unintendedly his last film. So I think there's a for people who are kind of brought up in an uncertain situation, mm. being lazy is, is kind of very unusual. And, you know, yes. Ray was not only a great artist, but he was a great worker. And, of course, he produced his own projects. So he wasn't waiting for the phone to ring. Again, much like uh, Jerry, you know, Jerry would produce his own projects, wouldn't he? So there aren't many creatives who are also producers. So, you know, another kind of facet. An extraordinary artist Daddy was as well. I mean, mm. obviously he had to do storyboards for the, the crew, producers, and to sell the film. Yeah. So to then have to make models to convince the the, the guys that this film's going to work and how it's going to do um, must have been absolutely excruciating to really get it to the next stage because the time it takes and the frames, you know, to move each animal and uh, or creature, you know, it's it, it's hard and and that's why it took so long. You know, after they'd done the film to catch up with the animation and, yeah. and cut it all in. But yeah, he 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 was an extraordinary artist and influenced by very great people like Gustav Doré and. John Martin, and you know, you can see it in his artwork, and and then he did sculptures of his work mm. uh, in bronze, which is extraordinary. <laughs> you know, I I remember him doing Kong. I think he was beating up a dinosaur, and he was putting all the the he called them warts on the dinosaur, and then he, I saw him with a dentist tool doing all the fur and the the wavy movement on Kong. I mean, the time it took. Yeah. To do it. It was just, it was beautiful to see. Yeah. Real amazing physical perfectionism. And then that, well, that's kind of paid dividends, isn't it, on the productions? Because people, yeah. people remember them so fondly and watch them still so much. Where, where do you all think that, that, that Ray's work sits in kind of contemporary cinema? Because, you know, same for, for, for dad stuff, really, I would say, you know, there is a, there is a timelessness about both of their yes. different types of work. You know, they stand on their own. They They're do, engaging yeah. in their own way. And I as said the, uh, again, some I heard a quote from somebody saying that kind of the realistically unreal. So they, they had a, a believable tactile quality while never trying to convince you completely that they 
they were something they were not. You know what I mean? I, it, it, there's something really charming and timeless, but now we're in a world of incredible, uh, you know, unlimited VFX and that kind of thing. How do you think they hold up and how do you think they survive? And I'll throw that open to all three of you. Go on, John. <laughs> right. Well, if um, the reason Ray didn't make a film after Clash of the Titans was because the studio said, look, this isn't where we're going technically. This isn't mm. what we need. You know, this this form of, of fantasy cinema doesn't work for audiences, but it did. You know, studio heads were trying to think of the next thing. And, of course, computer creatures didn't really come in until the early 90s with Jurassic Park. So, you know, Ray Harryhausen kind of languished in, in, in the 80s when he could have been making films and should have been. Mm. And, and studios were probably studio heads now can bow their heads in shame and recognise they got that wrong. Yeah. But in terms of marketability and being able to turn a buck again, Ray's films have been restored in 4K and reissued. I was thrilled to see that Space Precinct is getting a HD restoration for BritBox because I, mm. I remember being at Mentorn back in the 80s when I was trying to look for work. I knew Tom Gartridge and uh, I thought they were editing Space Precinct on tape from the film elements that they'd shot. So I didn't realise film elements still existed. Oh, so I mean, ITV have done this wonderful and very expensive yeah. restoration because there's an audience for it. I'm mm. going to be first in the queue to buy the Blu-ray set for that. And so we have that now with Ray's films. People are queuing up to pay again and again and again. You know, Vanessa's best-selling book, which talked about her father's career and looked at the objects in the Foundation's collection, sold out really quick. So once the industry knows, ah, we can turn a buck on this, their sites turn back to it. And, you know, it's not simply a case of this is the olden days. Wasn't it good how they did it without computers? Mm. We've had screenings with um, young audiences, sort of 10, 11 year olds at the BFI for Clash of the Titans. Yeah. And of course, Clash of the Titans, it's for children. It's quite the experience because it's incredibly a visceral experience when mm. we think of the spoiler alert, you know, the beheading of Medusa, Calabos losing his hand, the fights, the Kraken. It's really quite something. And Bubo the Owl. These kids were absolutely enthralled. Mm. So that's your test market because children are very critical and, you know, early teens, very critical of, of what they see. Oh, yeah. They're used to photorealistic effects. But this is what people say to us when we speak on forums and when we go to Comic-Con. But yes, it's photoreal and you can have a thousand orcs or whatever it might be, you know, running over a wall. But because there's no physical center to it, it doesn't feel as if it's real. And of course, they know it isn't real. Mm -hmm. Whereas, of course, the work that um, Jerry, Ray, and of course, the brilliant Derek Meddings, who's the mm. kind of, the, in some ways, the glue between the two, because Ray knew Derek Meddings quite well, and they appeared in John Landis's comedy, Spies Like Us, as doctors, yes. bizarrely. Yeah. You know, that form of physical FX. And when we think about what Derek did on the Bond films, superb, on Superman the movie, where he won his Oscar, absolutely superb. Um, we return to these now and we mm. think, actually, this works really well. And there's mm -hmm. something here that computer-generated, those large banks of computer-generated animators could learn from. And think about this. If we were making a a, 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 um, a remake, say, of Clash of the Types with all of the CGI effects, there'd be thousands of animators involved working in different countries who have different experiences. So, of course, it's going to be a homogenous style of, of creature because it's not a single-digit performance. When Ray Harryhausen was acting through his models, he'd use his digits. And as Terry Gilliam used to say, it's his favourite digital work, Ray Harryhausen's digits on yeah. a creature. 
So there is something to be said for putting on the mask, putting on the costume or animating the creature through your digits. The performance is there and Mm. time has proved that. And the market shows you can ask people to come back and pay again and again. Mm. And I think that's the real test. It's the financial one. Yeah. But I think also um, dad knew that people were at that time more into CGI and that. And so that's why he also sort of backed off a bit because it wasn't really his his domain and you know but he admired it he loved mm. all the new technical stuff he always asked the the guys who he was introduced to how did you do that especially with Jurassic Park he was very <laughs> um into that and, and and other things so I think what puts people off now maybe is the time it takes to do hand animation yeah you know with a model it's it's the movement it's the you know, the time it takes everywhere. It's such a quick society we have today that maybe people are finding it too laborious to do it, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I I think there's definitely a time and then a a studio aspect from them, you know, saying, well, this this could actually cost us more uh, despite all the seats and the the kind of um, the animation time that's, that's required. But there's, there is something like you say, John, in the tangible and, um, Again, the the imperfectly perfect, which is a discussion we have. You know, when a when a when a Thunderbird two large model is being flown on wires by an operator, or when you know a, a skeleton is being animated frame by frame, bringing a sword down on a shield or whatever. There are there are moments within that where things are acting under the real world physics uh, and little tiny human errors and tiny little aberrations of movement which you 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 have to work really hard to get in the in the perfect environment of of cg so there's definitely something there well well nice and not a skeleton in sight uh, no, well, they might have been in, in the um, cupboard in, in the, the cupboard. background, but I, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't really see. Uh, We've all got a few of them. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed that. And there's more next week. And we'll be back with uh, with part two. So, But in, in the meantime, thank you, Team Harryhausen, for the chat. Uh, nice. You can go to rayharryhausen.com. Uh, they're all over social media, YouTube, and they've got their own podcast, would you believe? I believe it's award-winning, unlike this uh, what? one. What? It's what? I know, did, I know. How did they swing that? Uh, well because it, they're probably better than us uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so oh, yeah. well worth a listen uh, you can also find out about the Ray Harryhausen Awards at harryhausenawards.com and enter your own film if you like right uh, they're all about I, the awards aren't absolutely. they absolutely I think if you're under 16 you can enter them for free so uh, I know we've got some under 16 listeners mm. so if that's you and you've yeah. made your own short film uh, harryhausenawards.com anyway they'll be back next week thank you Vanessa Connor and John and yeah, uh, uh, more in pod two five seven. Brilliant, but I mean, it does make me think: should, should we be giving away some awards or uh, well, probably? I mean, yeah. Oh gosh, better think about that. Yeah, must try harder. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, now let's head on over to Twitter because if you are on Twitter, you can hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast. You can hash. No, you can tag. I'm Jamie Anderson and me Richard and James and him over there, uh, Chris Dalek. Let us know what you're thinking. Trevor Knight says exciting news for Anderson fans, children of the '60s, and lovers of classic television. And he retweeted a tweet from Old Time Review saying that Fireball XL5 was coming to Talking Pictures TV. Yes. Nice. That's good. Crikey. I mean, yes. you can't move for Jerry Anderson shows at the moment, I, can you? It's, 
very annoying, isn't it? I mean, it's Space Precinct on BritBox 90VX Premium. Yes. Fireball XL5 on Talking Pictures, us on yeah. podcasts. Yes. Yeah. It's everywhere. But, uh, I mean, it's, you're only talking, what, six, seven, eight years ago, and actually it was quite difficult to stumble across a Jerry Anderson production. Yeah, yeah. Oof, now they're ten a penny. Uh, Jeff responded to the uh, official Jerry Anderson account, suggesting that you can only choose three Jerry Anderson titles from a list. Uh, which would they be? Jeff said, I'm picking Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and Terrorhawks, but enough people have picked Joe 90 to cause it to trend. <laughs> Imagine. I know, it did. Well, actually, that day, that Thunderbirds... Captain Scarlet, Terrorhawks, and Joe 90 were all trending. Great. Uh, but what I want to know, added Jeff, is when are we getting another Panderson? I can't get enough of that theme tune. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, maybe uh, one day. May- maybe uh, 257, we'll see. Maybe if ever we do it live, another live podcast, maybe I'll bring some pans along. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Bandits do that. Uh, Ed Morish says from the BBC. Ah, oh, this was a tweet from the BBC. Ah, oh, this is interesting. They reported that there are currently around three to four million podcasts internationally, but just over half of those have more than three episodes, with only seven hundred twenty thousand podcasts comprising more than ten episodes. Gosh, lightweights, aren't they? Yeah. Well, how many podcasts have got more than two hundred fifty? <sighs> Not many, I wouldn't think. I want to do some research. No, no one's that stupid. Uh, (laughs) Carlos Danger says, was there any connective tissue between Moon Zero Two and the Jerry Anderson TV series UFO? The moon sets and some of the props in particular. Did Century 21 Productions maybe buy some bits from Hammer for both UFO and the film Doppelganger that slightly predated it? Don't know. Do you know? Moon Zero Two, I don't know. I'm not familiar with it, I have to say. No. I mean, they all shared and pooled equipment yeah. and stuff that they rented, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's possible. But I don't think there's any actual DNA as such. No, no. Yeah. Tracy Tron 2 says, Jerry Anderson's works heavily influenced Star Wars, because, of course, we just had May the 4th, uh, Star Wars Day. The opening shot of A New Hope was outright ripped straight from Space 1999, and they used so many filming techniques pioneered by Jerry Anderson and the people he worked with over the years. Well, you know, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dugsy says, if there was no Thunderbirds, we'd have no George Lucas and aviation designers from Blue Peter washing up bottles to today's amazing visual digital masterpieces. Ray Harryhausen and Jerry Anderson were visual trailblazers. Ah. True enough. Uh, Finally, ah, now here's a cautionary tale from Robot of Death who said, I found a guy just buying up your limited stock and fleecing fans. He's made almost 100% markup on the Fireball anthology. I've just missed out on already. Uh, I doubt you can do anything, but I thought you should be aware that this goes on. Yeah, isn't that terrible? Um, It is, but we can't do anything about scalping. It's annoying. Uh, Unfortunately, as long as people will buy from these people, then they'll keep doing it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, the thing to do is to head to the Jerry Anderson store and get in quick uh, for any new merchandise, yeah, really. We can get it, it actually at a, a decent rate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, get it and keep it. Exactly. Uh, all for now. Uh, but if you are on Twitter or any other social media, do uh, mention us and I'm sure I'll see it and, uh, and read it out next time. You will indeed. Yes. Uh, as as you do. have done for the last 200 and whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, Richard, I feel like we deserve a little break. Um, okay. And also, I feel like we need to shuffle one Christopher R. Dale, it's oh, yes. randomizer, uh, yes. into the spotlight. Would that be all right? Oh, go on. Well, if he needs a quick shuffle, yeah, fair he enough. He does. Uh, well, uh, the shuffling randomizer <laughs> this week <laughs> with some interpretive dance, perhaps. No, he'll just be <laughs> doing his usual, pressing the button on the randomizer, choosing a random Jerry Anderson series, a random episode of that series, and saying lots of fascinating, funny, amusing, interesting, and insightful things about it. And here he is doing that right now. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. 
Well, you're wondering why I asked you here. Well, not really, General. I'm surprised you haven't asked me to bring the randomizer along before now, actually. Did you? Yes, of course. Marina's got it right here. Yes, that's what you need in this job. An understanding wife. Uh, oh, Marina's not my... Uh, no, 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 we, we don't have that sort of relationship, uh, do we? So you say. Uh, I, I take it you do still want to press the button? Yes, I do. Well then, whenever you're ready. Uh, how about how about now? Why not? That's it. Well done. And now we wait. That could be anything. Oh yeah, that's the idea. But I'm sure I'll be happy with whatever episode you've selected. Even this one. Read that. Thank you, General. Ah, okay. Well, it's the protectors this week. You didn't finish it. I'm just getting to it with the tiger and the goat. Nah, nah, nah. Did you really have to do that? Mm. Yes. Hmm? She's here, son. Give me a minute. So, we welcome back to the randomizer. It's the Protectors, with uh, one of the final episodes of the series to be filmed, The Tiger and the Goat. I believe this is uh, episode 23 or something out of the 26. And we open with uh, a, an, an actor that we re recognise from... Uh, uh, two other Anderson shows, in fact. This is Douglas Wilmer playing Commander... Uh, someone. I did telephone. You weren't expecting... Secret Service chappy. Uh, he was also in episodes of UFO and Space 1999. The Contessa has arrived for a meeting with him. But he's already left his office and she's been locked in. It's all very suspicious. But we're wasting no time in getting the plot moving this week. Because the Contessa is, well, she's only been on the screen for like 15 seconds tops and already she's been captured by the looks of it. Um, she's taken out her gun while Commander Douglas Wilmer watches her through a one-way panel thingy. Uh, maybe time to go back in. Ah, so he's toying with her. I telephoned. Yes. About the Benaki miniature. Yes. Oh. You advertised? Yeah. Oh, right, yes, because the Contessa does dabble with uh, antiques and such on the side. Then why? I had to get you here without attracting undue attention. And she doesn't know that he's a Secret Service chappy. Certainly not to discuss Italian miniatures, Contessa. So we're back from the opening titles with our title, The Tiger and the Goat, and we now see the house from outside. <laughs> looks a, a nice if slightly rundown place but this is an episode i recall uh, is one of the few with no appearance from robert vaughan said who are you i think it's only like two or three that he doesn't do so nairi dawn porter is is leading the cast on this one and this guy still hasn't told her who he is but he's got a fabulous beard what do you want to talk the benaki you knew i collected you bought your first benaki from the latour gallery in paris so he knows a lot about her. He came in with a file. Finest collection outside America. You have me at a disadvantage. You quite obviously know all about me. While I don't even know your name. Caroline? Oh, and Paul is... is uh, I love how when, when Harry isn't in an episode, Paul and Caroline are still are perfectly free to use his house. Um, I mean, you know... He's a, he, he likes them, I, he trusts them, obviously, so, yeah, why not? But at the same time, it does point to the fact that we don't have a, a regular house set for the other two. Paul's found a letter. Bernard Miniature. Hmm. He's reacted with a face of, no, oh, that woman and her... Talk about. Bernard Miniatures. Oh, oh, that got a reaction. When did you last see him? 
Four or five years ago. Where? Madrid, I think. I have business interests there. Was it in summer or winter? Nobody goes to Madrid in the summer. Yes, Madrid, one of um, one of the places the the show did film in for real. I I, I recall. I can't remember off the top of my head which specific episode that was. Big place. But this isn't referencing a, a previous episode, so I'm not sure why I brought that up. Really. When? Shortly after Madrid. And since then? Nothing. And you have no idea where he is. No idea. Hmm. So there's a chap from the Contessa's past that this guy is interested in. Of course, you're lying. Why did you lie? Just. You tell me who you are and why you are trying to interrogate me. And please note that I said trying. Oh, you go, girl. That's that's a nice line of dialogue, yeah. Ah, and he's trying to be all all nice and pleasant and reassuring with his uh, his his happy smile and his badger beard. Meanwhile, Paul has arrived on the scene at the house. Um, yeah, she's left the address in the the letter, presumably. And he's uh, his protector's senses tingling. He's. Uh, yeah, something's not quite right here. But he'll still ring the front door. Would you say that Marcello was an intelligent man? Very. Enigmatic. When he wants to be. Cautious. You make that sound negative. Capable of violence. Everybody is capable of violence. Worthy of trust? I think so. You would not. Why not? It's obvious. You don't trust anybody, not even yourself. Yes, Douglas Wilmer was in. Uh, he was in uh, ESP from from UFO, and he was in Dragon's Domain from Space 1999, making him uh, one of only a handful of actors to have done UFO, The Protectors, and 1999. And oddly enough, uh, we're going to see another member of that very small club uh, later on in this episode. One of the people working for for Commander, I think his name's Commander Whiting. This character uh, is is actor Drew Henley who um, most people would know from uh, Star Wars, but he was in UFO and this and uh, 1999. It was uh, Conflict and The Bringers of Wonder that he did for those shows. So, yeah, it is a very, very small club. Um, I think it's really like about a dozen people tops, and that's if you really stretch it. So it's quite strange that um, two of those people would appear in this episode together. And possibly three, because there's... uh, a stuntman slash extra guy. Oh, there's Drew Henley, ambushing Tony, uh, named Max Faulkner. All right, I'll come quietly. He he's in this episode. He was uh, Ted Clifford in Ring Around the Moon, and although I don't remember seeing him in UFO, he must be in there somewhere. The potential of your present situation? No. Oh, she's drawing a gun. Handgun in your purse. Ah, but he's noticed. Perhaps. Backing away slowly. Now, will you open that door? No. Oh, she's trying her best to look really tough. Oh. I was told you were intelligent and sophisticated. Hmm. I was obviously ill-informed. Oh, burn. Ah, there's uh, Derek Newark, another guy working for, for Douglas Wilmer. Coffee. I just want to leave. Yeah, Derek Newark, um, familiar to, to Doctor Who fans. He was in the very first Doctor Who story. He was one of the cavemen in, in um, An Unearthly Child. And he was in my personal favourite Doctor Who story, Inferno. Melodrama. So, uh, my name is Whiting. Whiting, I got it right. Come I think Whiting, British intelligence. How do you do? Identification. Of course. He's opening it, showing her his photo. This interrogation, we had to be sure. About what? About how you stood in general, in particular with regard to David Barcella. David. Hmm. He's been working for British intelligence for the last twelve years. Oh. Uh, you didn't know. 
I, I had my suspicion. No, you didn't. That's not the face of a lady who had her suspicions. You're just saying that to save face, I think. So, Paul has now been locked in the wine cellar. In the past 20 months, eight of our most experienced agents have been murdered by an assassin. How very uh, efficient. About as efficient as they've ever put into the field. He's clever and dedicated. But worst of all, we think he's psychotic, actually enjoys killing. We have reason to believe that David Barcella is next on his death list. Well, this is a good enough reason for the Contessa to to get involved. Oh, well done, Reese. She believes him. Probably helped by the fact that they've now brought tea in. Oh, bring him in, will you? Oh, there's the name. Paul Boucher. Paul? Oh. Uh, yes, he's been here looking for you. I'm afraid we had to lock him up. Is he all right? Oh, yes, I think so. Caroline, are you okay? <laughs> I'm a little breathless, but otherwise I'm fine. He's arrived just in time for tea. A British intelligence. He's returned Paul's gun to him. Paul can be trusted, totally. Oh, yes, I know. That's why I handed him his gun back. And Harry Rule. Would somebody mind telling me exactly what's going on here? I'll explain later in detail. Go on, Commander. Now, this assassin, so far, he's evaded all our attempts to corner him. So there's a mention of Harry there. He was someone he'd never suspect. But I don't think they explain where he is this a week. sort of um, goat. Oh. Goat? Yes. Like an Indian tiger hunt. The goat is staked out to lure the tiger in front of the hunter's guns. Tethered goats to catch a tiger. Hmm. Thank you for explaining that. Word will be put around that David and I have um, renewed our friendship. The killer will get to know that he's coming here to see me. Yes, I wonder if, if Robert Vaughan was, was busy filming another particular episode around this time. Possibly it might have been Shadbolt. You as bait. Because that was one of the last ones to be filmed as well, I think. To be mounted. And with the amount of location work and the fact that these two aren't in Shadbolt, that probably, yeah. Yes. I don't have any proof to support that claim, but I suspect this was being shot at the same time as Shadbolt. But it's now night time. Paul is, is staying in Harry's flat with the Contessa. Meanwhile, Commander Whiting has set up in a flat opposite. Uh, this is? Yes, sir. How's your work? It's called a night viewer, sir. Mm. Hmm. What will they think of next? Hmm. I love I love it in, in old shows like this when they're they're confronted with technology that to us is, you know, commonplace and we know all about it, and they're all like, oh, how, how does this, this thing work? Night vision news, eh? Hmm. I wonder if it'll catch on. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So they've set up the camera, the night vision camera. Uh, they've got phone tap by the look of it. Hello, Caroline? Yes? It's me. Harriet? How are you? I'm fine. Can we check out positions? Yes, sir. Why is Harriet phoning Harry Rule's Roger flat? Roger to Beaters, report in. Beater one, everything quiet. So that's Drew Henley, he's outside. Beater two, nothing to report. Ibert. Ibert. Everything under control. Selby. Selby, okay. Beater four, ruddy cold. That has to be German. Yes, that's Max Faulkner. And as I said, he's a stuntman, so um, if he doesn't fall or get shot or otherwise take a tumble i will be very surprised again that's something you you get with with old shows when you when you've seen them often enough that you become familiar with what the stuntmen look like you know even when a stuntman turns up in what you would perhaps generously call a, an acting role you're just waiting for that moment for a, a fight to break out 
I want his head on my wall. So, despite his uh, cuddly exterior, Commander Whiting is uh, a bit uh, a bit keen to get this uh, assassin psycho chappy under wraps. And who's this hanging around outside? You think it's going to work, sir? It's got to. It's been two days. Yes. Where's the dog in all of this? I always get worried when, when this intruder and muse episodes around Harry's flat and the dog is nowhere to be seen. This is Commander Whiting. Do you recognise intruder? I'm not so worried about Suki. For some reason, I'm, I'm more concerned about where Gus is. Negative, Commander. It's not him. Damn. Yes, there's a guy hanging around outside the flat. Observe, but do not approach. Keep all channels open and remain on close call. Commander Whiting? There's an intruder approaching. We don't recognise him. Now, here's what I want you to do. He's in. Right. They've turned off the lights. They're hiding in strategic positions. Yes, behind the bookcase. Stay out. Repeat. Do not enter. And it's times like this you realise just how big that apartment set actually is and how how certain episodes barely make use of it. You just kind of see the characters hovering around on the sofa or going up and down the stairs. But there's the kitchen area. There's the library area at the back. Um, lots of chairs about the place. Yes, Paul has got his gun drawn as this intruder lurks about the house. Nice music here. Where is he heading for? Looks like he's heading for the bedroom. If he leaves without incident, I want a photograph, right? Or was that yes. the bathroom? Exit. Not sure. I, I have a feeling that door has, has served both both functions over the years. And I'm I'm annoyed because I I recognise this um this guy who's broken in. The face is very familiar. As he sneaks around with a torch. Caroline is asleep. Oh, that's woken her up. The torch light under the door. And now he's in her room. Sneaking up on her. Paul's really biding his time here. If he gets much closer, he'll be uh, he'll be in bed with her. And he's established she's there. And now he's leaving. Uh, leaving the door ajar. That's uh, oh, sensible, I suppose. Leaving. Ready? Ready. Go on. So the guy is out. Got a photo of him. Pick him up, sir. No, let him go. But, sir... No one is to leave his position. That is an order. I'm sorry, sir, I just thought... So was he an ordinary... You didn't think. ...housebreaker into? Printed up and checked with CRO within the hour. Yes, sir. I'm sure we'll find out. Who was he? A cheap little thief called Tommy Watt. Of course, it... Uh, Tommy Watt? ...could be a coincidence. Hmm. Commander, I don't believe in coincidence. Hmm. And speaking of coincidences, yes, Tommy Watt, or Tom Watt, was uh, the actor who played uh, Bezel in, in Space Precinct. Well, I am. He was obviously sent by the killer to check us out. Yeah, obviously. Better. Ah. Yeah. That's a publicity photo from... Uh, sure? Possibly one of the Madrid episodes, actually. That's a picture of Caroline on the yacht. That's the easiest century I ever earned. Yes, this is the guy who broke into the flat. I've got a terrible memory for names and faces. Dreadful. Being paid off in a restaurant by uh, some guy who... You know where to find me? ...has a picture of the Contessa. You know, done. Yeah. Pay for my tea, will you? Oh. 
Yes, I believe this is the David Barcella chappie that uh, the Contessa was previously involved with. I suspect that this killer is more efficient than Whiting thinks. Yeah, he could know about the surveillance. Well, it's possible. It's also interesting to see the protectors sort of playing catch-up with this episode, because having seen it before, I know... Whiting, be sure of filtering down the information that David... And I may as well say it now, I'm almost certain there is no killer. doesn't quite figure about that one. It's not um, this, this hypothetical assassin that they're after. It is David Barcella himself. You never talked much about David Barcella. Oh, well, they only invented him this week. No. Why? Too private? I never really thought about it before. Was he an old friend? Hmm. I suppose he's one of the few people in the world I really care about. Oh, <laughs> that's a bit of a slap in the face to Paul there. Poor Paul. He's playing solitaire, he's waiting for all this to get resolved. Can I speak to Alex? Alex? I'm sorry, you must have the wrong number. But yeah, going back to the idea of we've got to make use of Harry's set, uh, Harry's uh, apartment set. I've heard that voice before. Even when Harry isn't in the episode, it does sort of... Yeah. It does seem a bit odd that the Contessa and Paul can just, A, hang around the place, which I suppose is just about understandable enough, but B, that their friends call them at that house. Uh, I guess the Contessa just stays there whenever she's in London. Someone coming. Who is it? Oh, it's that guy. Barcella guy. It's him. Positive identification. Let him through. Oh. Await my instructions. Let as soon as they've got confirmation of him, they're picking up the rifles. Because either he's very dangerous or... Commander Whiting. They are here to take him out. Commander Whiting. Oh, he's gone radio silent on them. He's nearly there. And it's it's actually a really nice performance Douglas Wilmer is putting in here. He's always a good actor in everything I've seen him in, but he's played this sort of cuddly... Him. Cardigan wearing uh, chief of security up till now, but the moment when David Barcellus appeared on the scene and the Contessa and Paul were trying to get in touch with him, he's suddenly just gone very solemn and yeah, radio silent. Well, that's surprising. One of the security men has been shot, and it's not. He's dead. It's not Max Faulkner. It was Drew Henley. And Max Faulkner, established stuntman, he was up on a roof. He could have fallen, but no. What are you doing here? You're David Barcella. David's in the flat. Making out like he's been injured. But that's just so you can give Paul a clobbering. Paul is not having a good time this week. From smacks in the face to being locked in a cellar to... You think you're doing... Having the Contessa tell him that... You mean... Well hint that um, there are there is an assassin. There's no assassin. People out there that she cares more about than him. I, 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 I don't understand. I mean, Whiting told a me ring. that... Our ring. A ring. Oh, they have a ring. You needed me. Needed help. You knew I'd come. Oh. Ah. Right, they've lured him in with the ring. A, ring? a special distress ring, I guess. If she ever needed him, she'd send him the ring. And it must have been Whiting. He used you to trap me. He wants me dead. And I like this actor playing David Barcella. I can't remember his name. No, the things that but he gives a very broody, moody... When I tried to explain, I'd had enough. Wanted. Intense performance. Did I say broody? And I meant brooding. Broody probably means he wants children, doesn't it? I don't think he wants children. Although he does... He's got a bit misty-eyed. So, you know, maybe... Maybe all he wants is children. There are six men out there. Five. Oh. We've got one chance. Come on. 
killed Drew Henley. Yeah, the Contessa seems almost uh, pleased by the idea that he's killed one of them. Sneaking out the back. Whiting's men have broken in at the uh, the ground floor entrance. Almost took out the wall. Uh, the, the, the downstairs wall really noticeably shook uh, when they burst through. So, where has he gone? All of the security men are running around. Find him. Oh, there goes a car. That must be him. And it, it's, uh, I've been to this uh, house, this Muse flat in London. Well, I haven't been inside the flat. But I, I've been and looked at the building. And it's not till you actually do that, you realise there's very little room on the road around there to, to do anything except sort of turn around. And there's only just enough room to turn a car around. That scene was a good example. of it. You sort of got the impression that yeah, there is very little space there, whereas in other episodes it seems like it must go on forever. But who's this in the car? Lured all the security people away? You. I'm the goat. It's the Contessa. Remember? Playing the part of the goat? I gave him time. Time to get away from you. You naughty man, you. Yep, David has escaped because the security people wanted to kill him for some reason that I suspect was explained, but I waffled over. Anywho, that was The Tiger and the Goat, and that's always been one I've enjoyed, because I really like... I find it interesting when when Robert Vaughan isn't in an episode, not that I dislike him, but I like the way that um, Nairi Dawn Porter just effortlessly takes charge, almost to the point where she could do this on her own. She doesn't really need Paul, and unfortunately Paul got smacked around the place this week fairly badly. But yeah, a really nice idea, really nice guest cast, just a small tight-knit idea, really well executed, good stuff. Ah. Well, uh, another trip down the avenues and alleyways. Yeah, um, had to happen. You know. Yeah, I can't always avoid it. I mean, there's a lot of protectors <laughs> episodes, so it's yeah. going to happen from time to time. <laughs> yes. I wonder if we've got more of them behind us than we've got ahead of us. Uh, well, if we're about halfway. By then... 280, we probably, hopefully, will have at least half behind us. Yeah, but uh, yeah, anyway, uh, you know, each their own. We know we've got some protectors oh, yeah. fans out there, and the theme yeah. tune ain't bad, and I oh, do yeah. like Harry Rule's dog. So, Fair enough. You know. There's, yeah. there's something for everyone, isn't there? That's right. There is something for everyone, yeah. Uh, now, are there any more things from around the uh, Podstron universe that you'd like to share before uh, we wrap things up? No, I think that's all for now. But I would just like to say, finally, uh, subscribe, rate and review, share, and uh, tell all your friends. Uh, yes, or else. <laughs> that, that's it. That's perfectly clear, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you need to do yeah. anything else other than that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Email us, podcastjerryanderson.com. Do all the oh, tweeting yeah. things that Richard mentioned earlier. Yeah. And, um, yeah, do write us those reviews. We're very oh, yes. appreciative. We had, had a couple the other week, and they were really lovely. We really enjoyed yeah, yeah. those. Thank you. So, yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, go, go, go ahead. Make our day by yeah. writing a review. Uh, nice. But until then, apologies mm. for your clammy ear slash ears. Again. Uh, again. Sorry about that. And uh, we'll be making them clammy again next week in Pod 257. Yeah, look forward to it. Say goodbye. Oh, goodbye. 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 Stage one complete. Let's go.
uh, I don't know why. Why did I start that clammy ears thing? I can't. It's because I get clammy ears, isn't it's it? It's because yeah, yeah. It's because I've got them right now. I, I don't need to know. <laughs> it's, it's between that and your sticky thumb. It's behind. It's behind Honestly. the lobe that's worst, actually. Oh, I'm just having a little stroke of it now. Oh, please. That. No could, one needs to know that. <laughs> we could do that ASMR thing of me just stroking my earlobe. Go on, go on then, go on. Now, well, I, don't think, I don't think you'll be able to hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard it. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> uh, oh, it was like sandpaper on a blackboard. No, but seriously, your, um, mm. your meditation voice was quite something. Oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll think about uh, releasing a meditation of course. Yes, Officer Orin's <laughs> Space Breathing Meditation course. I mean, I did put a few people to sleep with my performance, that is fair. <laughs> and there's that great picture of you taking a snooze. Uh, or yes! Is, or are you looking sexy? I can well, never I, tell. I know, exactly. I use it both ways, on, uh, as it were, on, on social media. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what was so the intention? I think I was just lounging and waiting for the shot to be set up. Uh, okay, you were snoozing. Yeah. Some yeah. snoozing, yeah. Well, it's one of the sexiest alien snoozes I've ever seen. <laughs> one of them? <laughs> How many have you seen? No comment. Anyway, uh, I think it's time that we leave this alone. I think we ought to, yes. Uh, time for you to go off for a sexy alien snooze. Uh, right, yo. Not a bad idea. Charlotte, plump up the pillows. Good night. Goodbye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.